0: So let's go ahead and, and just jump right in chapter three here in First Timothy. Um, <clears throat> this is where Timothy or excuse me, Paul writes to Timothy about qualifications for <coughs> overseers within the church. And we're gonna find that and most pretty much every scholar that I've read agrees that <coughs> when you're reading about overseers or bishops. Or or pastors or um, elders that essentially they're the same office or the same uh, capacity within the church, and I know that that in our church and in many church structures you're going to find that applied differently. You're gonna find deacons doing work of elders. You're gonna find elders doing work of elders. Um, But in, in this particular circumstance here, the way that Paul writes about overseers, he separates the qualifications out from the qualifications of deacons. And so these first seven verses in chapter three focus solely on overseers, bishops, pastors, elders, whatever terminology we want to bring you know, to the table in that discussion. And, and then after that, in verse 8, he starts to speak directly about qualifications for deacons. And, and the role of the deacon is not as clearly defined um, when it comes to Scripture. You know, we can talk about the fact that in the book of Acts, when we um, we talked about what may have been the first deacons when they were distributing Making sure that 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 the the, the widow got everything they needed. Um, so there's a there's a general overall feel that that a biblical role of a deacon or a biblical deacon definition um, would be someone who is who is assisting in ministry in various ways. But it's a pretty loose definition, and you know you'll find folks who look at church structure and say, well, based upon this, we should have pastors and elders. And then we should have deacons. And in a lot of churches, we have deacon elders, which would be more like what we have here at Bellevue. Uh, the deacons and the uh, function more in an elder capacity than they do a deacon capacity. I think like um, you're talking about the elder? Huh? What's okay. that? Elder? Elder, yes, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, i will so. be sure. I'll be sure to let uh, him know you mentioned that. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> now, let's see what, read what Paul wrote here to Timothy. He starts off in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, despi- he des- desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So let's go back up here just a little bit and unpack these (laughs) to some degree. Um, If you'll notice, I, I think Paul has a tendency to bring the most important thing first and bring it out at the top of the list. And so he lets us know that it, that anyone who wants to be an overseer, it's a it's a noble task. And so since it's a noble task, there are noble qualifications that you should meet. And so he uses the term above reproach, and uh, that that's kind of a blanket term. I mean, and, and that might mean something different to each of us a little bit. But but when you really boil it down, it it you need to be found blameless in order to fit this qualification. Not that you're, I'm not saying you need to be sinless, because that's going to be nobody, but it needs to be someone who, when they are looked upon, because above reproach really has to do with how other people see you, does it not? And so there's a lot of concern given in here for how do other people see the leadership of the church? And there's a concern with how is that witness communicated to the outside? You know, if you have someone who is in that office as overseer or elder, again, whatever term we want to to put in there, who has a reputation for doing things that are not godly and living a life that's way outside the boundaries, um, it's going to reflect very poorly, not, not not even to speak of what it says about his own personal relationship with the Lord, but it's going to reflect very poorly on a church that would
1: put someone like that in charge. <clears throat>
0: and, and so there's, see, a, there's a whole whole lot to be
1: said about that. Go ahead. You see it in the news, too. I mean, you see one of the first things when somebody, an elder of the church or a pastor or something has, has gone, done something, one of the first things they throw this—an uh, elder in his church, you know—got a DUI. Or, you know this man who, you know, God forbid, you know, killed killed a bunch of people. You know he was an elder in his church and was known as this, that, and the other. So first thing they, oh yeah, throw out there—it's
2: it's a lot of fodder for the non-believers too. Big mm-hmm. yeah. That's <laughs> that's the first thing they love to grab and they say, this, mean, "This is why all religion is." Just, and it just leads them even
0: further. Without a doubt. And, and it's, you know, it, it, I think based upon, based upon this statement, there's, I mean, there can be discussion sometimes. A lot of churches want to forgive their pastors when they have stumbled and, 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 and fell. And, and I think there's a biblical argument for that. But I also think that based upon this line, there's a very, very good biblical argument that there are, while they may not have committed an unforgivable sin, and clearly the Lord can forgive them for what they've done, that sin may disqualify them from being in this office at a church, you know? Because unfortunately, while the members of the church may forgive you and the Lord certainly will forgive you, the rest of the world has a tendency to look upon you a different way. And there are some things that will always be brought up and that will always be, why did they keep him in leadership? Why is that person still there at that church? And and whether that's godly or not, when I look at at this statement from Paul that you have to be above reproach, I, I don't know how you can argue that someone who is in that situation should continue on in ministry.
1: It's it's tough. It's tough. I'm sure that's mm-hmm. some of the thought process that went into Paul, you know, writing that. Is it, it, a person who does that, not and, and and does it, you know, whether or not it's just one time that they did something wrong or whatever it is. You know that that has the potential. I mean, it can destroy a church. It can't. Rip it right in half or, I mean, just. Jesus made it very clear.
2: Our ultimate goal, anybody's ultimate goal is to bring people to God. That's the ultimate mission. And what was it he said? I mean, if you stand in the way of that you're better to tie a stone around your neck and be cast into the sea.
0: He was referring to children specifically there, but but yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, What was the the statement
2: again? If if you interfere or try and, what does it, come between? If you to
0: God. Anyone who would cause one of these little ones to stumble. So in other words, specifically with children, (laughs) and I think that the application is clear across the board. But, but the verses he's referring to, when he's talking about children. That if anyone should cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and, and cast into the water. So, um, which is not a pleasant thought. No, it's not Yeah, point.
2: but it's this ultimate goal is that that's, and I think that's what's at the center of this. When you, we're not talking about ourselves as individuals in God here. We're talking about God's purpose of bringing everyone to Him, and that's the ultimate mission. So you have to put individuals aside to elevate the overall cause and I think that's a lot of what's driving Paul's.
0: Mess. Yeah, I, you know, you have said something that's incredibly important because oftentimes we put too much this this may sound harsh, but we put too much stock in people. Mm-hmm. We put too much stock in individuals and we, we elevate them far mm-hmm. above where they should ever be. Um, a pastor is a is a person is a man is just like you just like me he may be called to a different level of ministry and a different purpose in order to fulfill God's mission in a certain area but a pastor is is just as or more capable of stumbling than any of us and and it's you know it, it we hold them in such high regard and when you think about what James says how teachers are Looked upon with you know with 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 greater scrutiny, I'm paraphrasing, but than than those who are not teachers. That that applies across the board, not just to teachers, but when we start talking about teachers in the church, pastors in the church, elders in the church, the 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 level of scrutiny. I mean, if if you were to hear about a church member doing something that that people do in everyday life you might say, no big deal. But if you're into about your pastor doing it, you might go, what? Why is my pastor doing it? And, you, and you, can all, you can all fill in the blank with whatever situation that, that works for you. Um, but it, we tend to hold them in very high regard. And, and rightly so to an extent. Um, but sometimes we hold them in such high regard that we think that they can do no wrong and, and that has the opposite effect of what we really want to accomplish. You know, it's, it, there's, there's this, there are a number of, I'm not going to get into all that either, but there's a number of pastors out there who have, for one reason or another, become celebrities, and they've lost their churches, left their churches, been run out of their churches, and then the next thing you hear, they've started another church, and the same problems are happening here, and then it just continues on and on and on, because they, they have a following. Instead of Christ having the following, they have the following. And that's dangerous. That's incredibly dangerous.
1: I've been to three churches where the pastors have done inappropriate things and been, you know, whatever they do and just went off to start new churches. It's like your credibility is like, it's not like it was one thing that happened on an accident. It was a, you know what I'm saying? All three of the instances were like reoccurring Problems. It spoke to who they really are, right? Or problems they have that they need to deal with. Yeah, it's just kind of weird because some of them were counseling me through my marriage. I'm like, what, what is going on here? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> but I've seen that, you know, just their credibility is like gone after that, and my, you know, and, and on a personal level, you
0: know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I, it, it 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 hurts. And what I would hope is that anyone who's in that position as a church leader, would not be so driven to stay in, and I'm I'm, really throwing people into a bucket here, but in a lot of cases, it seems as though they're driven to stay in power. <laughs> and my hope would be that they would recognize the damage that's being done and just step away and, and just go work on what they need to work on. Because far too often, it seems that that just doesn't happen. And it continues to be a a problem and and throws up a roadblock um, when it comes to leading people to Christ, because people follow people and not really follow and dedicate to the Lord.
1: Which is kind of like the Pharisees, you know, they were more interested in the the position and the power than they were in, I mean, they should have known better than anyone through the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. But they didn't like his message. They didn't like the things he was saying. He was a threat. And so rather than deal with the sin in their own lives, yeah. they rejected.
0: Oh. You're, you're, you're 100% correct. 100% correct. What's interesting is like Alistair Beck, you know, gives out advice people don't agree with and they cancel him. He probably would have had less uh, backlash if he had an affair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean it's, yeah, it's kind yeah, of strange. You, you, you're you're right, right about that. You, you see people that happens to, and they face less less backlash than than that. Yeah, that's kind of funny, And not Things things start to become acceptable that shouldn't become acceptable. <laughs> yeah. No, you're you're not you're not wrong about that. <laughs> not wrong about that. Oh, however, he probably would not have done well. It was an affair, but, but your point's well taken. <clears throat> Anything else? So, above reproach, and, uh, and certainly that, that needs to be a, a condition that maintains itself, not just when they get into the office. Then we get to have fun with this one the husband of one wife. <sighs> There's a lot of interpretation to this particular verse. And it. let me approach it this way. When it comes to understanding what this verse really means, we all of us consider and argue all day long. Um, But let's apply it in its literal sense. Clearly... You're not going to put someone in charge of your church who has multiple wives. We can we can apply it that way, or we can apply it to say the husband of only one wife. In other words, if you got divorced and got remarried, then you don't qualify for this leadership position either. That's another way to look at it. Um, was it was it Charles Stanley? I think it was charles stanley who his wife left him and he never remarried and continued to be pastor of the church that he was pastor of because he believed that he should never take another another wife because it would disqualify him from leadership he was married once that wife was still alive and she had left he, he was it was it was something he tried to keep together but she didn't have any interest in staying and he said I can only be the husband of one wife. So as long as that situation exists, this is how it will be. And he continued on in that that capacity. Um, But this gets applied in a lot of different ways. We had a discussion several years ago in the pulpit committee I was on here. I'll give you a little insight into our discussion. We were sitting in this very room, and we started talking about the the resumes we had received, and there were several resumes that went that opened up with that I have been through a godly a, uh, or a biblical divorce is how it would start off, and they would they would say that right up right up front, and then they would give maybe more details about themselves, and we asked ourselves, should we consider anyone <coughs> who has been through a divorce? Period. Is, is this is this something that we wanna just lay down right now as a baseline that if, it, if, if their resume says they've been divorced, they're not gonna be at the top of our list. We're gonna put them over here. And my perspective on it was twofold. It was divorce is not an unforgivable sin. However, if I am seeking advice about how to hold my marriage together. I would want to be speaking to a pastor or an elder who in their mind doesn't think that divorce is an option. And I understand there are circumstances that that go all all over the board. But when it comes to someone serving in that particular position, I felt like I would rather go to someone who has not been through a divorce, and that perhaps we should set that aside, and not consider those who had been divorced and remarried. The rest of the committee agreed at that time as well, and so that became a disqualifier on the resumes at that time that we just set aside. Um, but there were people on the committee who had been divorced, you know, and we had we had a deep discussion about what does this mean and how does it apply. And, and uh, that that tended to be the, the you know the overarching desire was to be able to go in and sit down in counseling and know where this person is coming from, and also have that for all the members. Um, but does anybody's Bible have a footnote or anything that? Um, makes it even more complicated. Well, the NIV just says faithful to his wife. It doesn't say
1: one. That's another one. Yeah, yeah. Mine says that. Then the, the notes down below say, um, or must have only one wife, or must be married only once. Greek reads must be husband of one, must be the husband of one wife.
0: Yeah. So it, 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 I mean, I think it's open to some interpretation.
2: Could, and, yeah, go ahead. Could we all? I mean, can we interpret this whole passage here? Though also, this is Paul's divine inspirational guidelines. They're they're not laws; they're guidelines. I mean, because he's saying that it's that the saying is trustworthy. It's <coughs> this is a wise practice. And the reason I say it is because Paul himself checked some of these boxes that he would not have passed. Being a recent convert, being violent, I think, you know, stoning, was it Philip or Stephen? Yeah, he was present at the... Yeah, Yeah. he, you know, a violent temperament, you know, but but the point is he turned out to be one of the greatest messages. I I don't know. So I I get that feeling that he's saying this is kind of like... um, Proverbs, these are wise things that you should consider. You're probably going to make your life easier if you do these, but
0: I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I would, not... I'll tell you the way it feels like to me, though, is that we're talking about a, a, a snapshot of an individual at the time that they're being considered. Yeah. Do they meet these qualifications? And then after they're <coughs> in the office, you continue to evaluate do they continue to meet these qualifications? Have they have they stepped outside of these boundaries? And, and so, when I when I when I read through these, I think about these as being as being boundaries. And if you're, if you're outside of these boundaries, one of two things has to happen: there either needs to be some discussion and um, refocusing why or we need to determine have you disqualified yourself for ministry. So it's an effective diagnostic tool, basically. Yeah. So that's kind. Of, I think that's a good approach, personally. Yeah. If you eat these, you are beyond reproach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. That's your. That's a good way to put it because you're right. These are these are are more poignant qualifications that apply to the being above reproach. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
1: And He's yeah. got a woman if We know he's got sober. Market. No. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: no, no, no.
1: Well, by, the time, by the time Paul wrote this, he was, he was not a recent comic true. He was that's almost true. at the end of his life when he wrote Timothy.
0: So yeah, you're right about that. With
1: some yeah. wisdom there. Like some,
0: Yes. I, I you think know. when I said that he hit
2: the ground running though oh, he with did. authority yes. when he was converted he did and it was for the good it was a good day yeah and, and it led to some issues that's
0: right yeah the people didn't trust him he had a little yeah. fire
1: with
0: yeah. him yeah Lord you want me to go see this man Paul have you not heard what he's done <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't I don't think I should do this Yeah. so yeah I, it, again it's open for some for some interpretation, but uh, uh, Bobby always brings us back to earth, thank you, sir. (laughs) Uh, So so we go on, so obviously some of these are are pretty self-explanatory, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. Um, You know, you're going to see a lot of this come from uh, just the the presence of the Holy Spirit in the same individual. there's the, I want us to, to not forget that able to teach is on this list because we're going to uh, we're going to notice that it's not on the qualifications for deacons, where a lot of these are are repeated um, down past verse eight, but able to teach is not one of them, and uh, uh, we'll open up a discussion next week on that. But um, so again, not a, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Again, we're looking at some. Some, some Holy Spirit fruits here. Um, not a lover of money. Pretty well self-explanatory. Um, and, and there is a point, too, if you can't manage your own household, how in the world are you going to be able to manage uh, God's church? Um, and that number, and verse, verse 6, about not being a recent convert, um, we see folks who are, um, they have years behind them. Who still are not mature enough to serve in that position, and they get, if you will, drunk on power. Um, so clearly, with a recent convert, it's it's it, what of the kids say these days it's a red flag, right? They talk about red flags with the boys and girls, and oh, he's a red flag.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so anyway. Do you have teenagers in your house? <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be quiet now. But, <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, I've heard that term thrown around way too much in my house. Um, so that would be a red flag if you're a recent convert. We should be concerned about uh, about how you will potentially fall. And. Um, okay. So again, but the concern here is in verse 7, it has to be thought well of by outsiders and it, it reflects upon the church. And so that's the overarching thing here is um, this, this, this man should be a good man who is, who is dedicated to the Lord, who has himself under control, his house under control, um, has his sins under control. And at the same time, other people should be able to see that in him so that it reflects well upon the church. And we got to stop there. It's 10.47. Um, but uh, any other any other statements about that? Because next week we'll get into the qualification for deacons, talk about the differences between them, and we're also going to do some focusing on verse 11, uh, where it says their wives likewise must be dignified. Um, we're going to break that down a little bit, and I want to find out what all of the... Uh, footnotes y'all have might say about that uh, because it goes in different directions. So that's why we have some some uh, female deacons in some churches and in other churches we don't. And uh, we'll get to that next week. So anything else? You could also say that marriage clause that
2: was in there. It could be a requirement that they are married. That's you could. Yeah, occur, you could you could go there because then again that could be a, a godly duty you need to perform as an advisor. And are you going to listen to someone who's never been married? How are you going to yeah. tell me how to... Yeah,
0: there's about four different ways to yeah. to spin that around and, and try to apply it. And I'm not going to stand here yeah. or, or sit here. I'm, I'm, I'm not standing here and, and try to, to stand on one over another because I've yet to find uh, yeah. a, a, a series of scholars who can agree on it you know, the same way. So. Oh, um, all right. Let's go ahead and, and bring it up here. Lord, thank you for this day again, and just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to study your word. And Father, I thank you for those who are here, and I pray for those who are unable to make it this morning for whatever reason. Lord, just uh, prepare our hearts for worship this morning, and and um, we just uh, hope and pray, Lord, that uh, you'll allow the message that Tink delivers to to reach those and just uh, have the effect on us that you want it to. And Lord, just be with us as we depart from this room mm-hmm. and uh, as we go about our tasks this week. Strengthen us, guide us, and uh, allow us to feel your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.